Greetings and welcome to Shattered Lives, a lively, educational, and issues-driven radio show designed to tell another side of the story, to focus on and humanize crime victims, to enlighten and shine the spotlight on organizations and service providers, and to assist those who walk the path with us. This is Donna Arcor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you every Saturday uh, for education, awareness, and enlightenment, primarily on the issues surrounding the aftermath of crime. So I want to say um, good day, everyone, and it's a beautiful uh, fall Saturday morning here in uh, the state of Connecticut. And uh, hopefully in the in the state of South Carolina as well, we have uh, a different um, a different orientation today in our in our show. In that uh, we're going to talk about uh, grief and loss with a very accomplished guest. And uh, before we bring her on, I want to uh, welcome the social media maven of South Carolina, an excellent person all around. And I'm very blessed to have Delilah Jones in my corner. Um, as my PR manager, good morning, Delilah. Well, thanks for the glowing introduction, Donna. I appreciate it. And um, interesting show we're going to have today. I think, you know, everyone, including probably all the listeners out there, have um, experienced loss of some kind in their lives, maybe more than one time, and most likely more than one time. So I think the information that we are going to share today is going to give a a little bit of hope to everyone, and that's what we'd like to accomplish. Definitely. And um, I I was blessed to have a couple of um, uh, fairly lengthy conversations with our guests, so why don't we just kind of get down to business here? Um, Linda, Linda Fell is uh, uh, manages the National Grief Grief and Health Co- Coalition. She also um, uh, sponsors uh, radio shows, films, web- webinars, and um, is involved in a huge uh, anthology project, which we are going to uh, focus on primarily today. And I have to tell you that she is a person who has also experienced grief and, and loss. And so um, before we, we talk about uh, the project that we that she has gotten underway, we, we wanted to also give give the backstory in terms of some of her background. So, so, Linda, it's a pleasure to have met you, and it's a pleasure to have you now as part of the Shattered Life family. Welcome to our show. Oh, thank you so much, ladies. It's an honor to be here. Well, it's it's our our pleasure as well, um, Linda. Um, it, we we uh, sometimes our show goes very quickly. Uh, we we are blessed to have a full hour to talk about our topic here. So, um, why don't you give some of the background in terms of uh, perhaps who you who you are as a person and and how you got involved with the projects that you're involved with currently. Well, my story started in 2009. I, we've got four children. I'm a grandmother of two. And in 2009, we still had a couple of kids at home, teenagers. And one of them, our third child, a 15-year-old daughter named Allie, was a competitive swimmer. And she practiced two hours in the morning, beginning at 5 a.m., 
went to school, was a 4.0 student, and then right back to the pool afterwards for another two hours. She was very, very determined uh, to reach her goals and wanted to become an Olympic swimmer. And she, on August 5th, 2009, she and a handful of senior swimmers from her team, they, they were sanctioned, a sanctioned team. They practiced year-round, and they went down to Seattle to watch Michael Phelps in the U.S. Open as a bit of a field trip and to get an experience for what that venue was like. She competed in that pool uh, a number of times, uh, but to actually be a spectator and watching an Olympic uh, you know, qualifying event, uh, it, that was a, a new experience for her. And coming back, the kids, uh, of course, had put in a two-hour practice at 5 a.m. that morning. And coming back, it had been an 18-hour day, and they were tired. And the last leg home, because they did some carpooling, uh, you know, the senior swimmers were uh, scattered around the region. And the last leg home the driver of her car she was in the back seat and he it was a dark road it was uh, poorly lit and he was tired and, and unfamiliar with that stretch and he missed a stop sign and a father coming home from work t-boned their vehicle right where my daughter sat and i was she a passenger in the front seat she was a passenger in the back seat and the back seat, and she she died instantly. Okay. And I I actually wrote about that night on my blog, A Stroke of Love, uh, to uh, because that's where my story begins. And so as I've created these endeavors over time, everyone wants to know my story, and so I actually penned it. And I thought initially, you know, who would want to read? Uh, uh, you know that kind of story, but it is one of my largest read blog entries, even though it's a few years old. And it describes the day, the night that my life was transformed. But I have to fast forward that what I found since that time is when I help others who are struggling with loss, whether they've lost a parent, a sibling, a, a child. Uh, you know, whatever, because loss comes in many, many forms. And, you know, people often say that the loss of a child is the hardest loss of all. But I think it's unfair to compare because if you don't know that kind of loss, your loss of a sibling or of a, a father or, you know, whatever your loss is, if that's the loss you know, it's gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. No explanation yeah. needed. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I just found myself becoming a voice in the bereavement field and embracing anyone who's facing loss in need of a, a support, of a hug, of, you know, just some comforting words. And what happened was that lifted my own heart. And it's true that, you know, healed people heal people. And when I realized that when I offered comfort to others, it helped put a little bit of my heart back, you know, one one more little piece back into my shattered heart. And so that fueled my passion for creating 
projects that bring comfort, company, and hope around the world. And I, I started Grief Diaries Radio nearly two years ago, and I created the National Grief and Hope Convention that uh, the first year this year uh, in Indianapolis in uh, April. And from that, I've created a national nonprofit coalition. We're just beginning in our infancy, uh, but it's really, really cool. And I also love helping people share their own stories because people want to talk about their loss. And the grief literacy in our country is is very – people are afraid to talk about their loss. And so by giving those who have faced a loss a voice – a few things happen. It helps others to better understand, and it helps the rest of us feel not quite so alone. And so I created this this series of books, each book dedicated to a different kind of loss. And it's been a really cool, cool project. We've got over 90 participants in six countries, and the books are going to be published in, in December and it's amazing what's happening by people sharing their stories in these books. It's really cool. And one of the books, of course, is Lost by Homicide, which carries very heavy emotional dynamics that is not present in some other losses. And I feel very honored that, to be the, the keeper of these memories for these people. You know, well, Linda, it's, it's just such a... Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Delilah. Mm-hmm. When you explain through the different anthologies the different types of loss and your experience with with what you've done over the years, do you find that there are different kinds of grief for the different oh, kinds yes. of losses? Right. And uh, does do the anthologies go into that and and kind of conclude this? Yeah. What kinds of right. losses? Can you give us some examples? Very much so. You know, an anthology, for listeners that are not familiar with that term, an anthology is a collection of voices. So in each book, there's a number of participants sharing their own story, their own reflections, their own thoughts. And each of the participants lay out what happened in their life. And then they're asked questions. And they answer the questions, such as, how did you survive the initial aftermath? What did you do with your loved one's clothing? Uh, Who planned the funeral? And it takes them through a series of questions. And at the very end of the book will be more uplifting type of questions, such as, you know, what did your loved one, what is your favorite memory of your loved one? What brought you hope? What brought you comfort? So it takes the readers through from the very beginning, because for most of us, for people, the bereaved, our calendars are very different. We go by a before and after calendar. And so when you do a book series, you know, where you have a collection of voices, it's very important for people to share the beginning. What happened? Did you actually author the questions? Oh, yes, I've created all of it. All All of the books. Yeah, you've created all of it. Yeah, and I would imagine um, just being a survivor of homicide that you're another thing that people should know is that you are not be you're not mandating people to to uh, write all 18 questions. There is also a a minimum of five right in order to participate, and perhaps people can 
can start to write these and then come back to it. And um, because you can't sit down in in one in, in one fell swoop and write all of these. I was like, you know, going through this as you know, Kubler-Ross stages, I wouldn't imagine that you can sit down and, and deal with all of these questions at once. No, and so I've designed the project to be very gentle. And, you know, I'm a bereaved mother, and so I thought, how could I handle this type of, uh, you know, I, if I were a participant rather than the, the creator and producer? And, and, of course, I will be contributing to a couple of the books myself, Loss of a Child and Grieving for the Living. And and so what I've done is in the very beginning, I've asked them to pen their story, what happened, tell me what happened in 1,200 words or less. And the following week, they're asked three questions. The week after that, they're asked three more questions. And because the questions bring up a lot of emotion Especially for in in many areas of traumatic loss, there's post traumatic stress disorder. Many of us have it, and it's it's just a byproduct of a traumatic unexpected death, such as homicide, suicide, uh, loss of a child when it's traumatic and unexpected. You know, there's there's a whole different realm of when you're losing someone to an illness such as cancer, you've got preparatory grief, and so that's kind of a different. Um, and while it's very value, you know, valued and, and warranted, and, and many of those also have PTSD, um, but it's very, very common in the unexpected traumatic losses. Right. And so what, what happens uh, three weeks in, especially in the loss by suicide book, uh, you know, the questions are pretty hard, and it, it can flare your PTSD, if that's something that you struggle with. And so we took a breather for a week to give everyone time. And I, 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 you know, it's very important to me that people put their own well-being at the forefront at all times. And so with the group of participants, I've been very careful with that. And I do some private videos. So we have a secret group on Facebook where we can all meet and share our hearts when we're struggling and I can put, you know, some, some private videos in there and, uh, you know, just we can talk about this project because this is their project. It's not my project. I'm a big collaborator. I love being part of a team. And so this is our project and these are their stories. And so to treat themselves, uh, you know, very kindly uh, because what they're doing is they are, sharing their own heartbreak with the world. And that's a very honorable thing to do. That's very selfless. But they have to dig deep into their memories and very painful memories and emotions. And so it's a very profound project. With every entry that comes in, it's, it's profound. And so it, with, with their actual writing... Is there, do you take it at face, except for grammar and spelling, there's no editing involved, is that right? The editing is for gross editing because it's very important with the, their story, it's their voice. And right. so this is not a typical book uh, editing style. You, you want to preserve 
the unique dynamics behind every person's voice. And mm-hmm. that's critical. That's very, very important to me. Yes, and, it's very unique. And so the, you want to preserve that voice, that story. And, again, it's not mine. It's theirs. And I honor that and I treasure that. And so the, the editing is for gross grammatical errors such as there's, you know, no profanity is allowed, uh, the gross uh, punctuational errors, and, of course, the spelling errors. Other than that, it's very important to preserve the voice and the story from every participant. Mm-hmm. So after, after if they chose to do anywhere from from a minimum of four questions to a maximum of 18, what happens after they finish the questions and they submit, uh, Linda? Well, they submit the questions as they go along. Okay. And it's interesting, at the beginning of every Monday, they're given three more questions. And some of them get right on it and submit their answers within just a few hours. And some of the answers are very long. Some of them are a few sentences. And there's no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And and every submission is, is, of course, part of the book. And so some of them are way behind, and that's okay. And, of course, we do have a deadline because these books will be published in December. And so we'll get there. Again, this is a very atypical book <laughs> project and mm-hmm. uh, and which is uh, you know you treat it very differently because these are people's profound sorrow that you're handling and compiling and collecting mm-hmm. and and so they're given every week three questions and they send them in as they pen them and some of them wait till the very end of the week because they know three more questions are coming some of them answer every question some of them answer only a few. And if mm-hmm. a ca- question's not applicable, they don't answer it. Or or if it's too painful, they don't answer it. I honor that. Right. And, and after and, that, are they, uh, and then all of these different anthologies are going to be published as of December, or that's, that's your hope. And I know that the challenge is to get more people with uh, people who have had homicide visit their family, um, what what are the parameters in terms of the logistics of it um, once you get well, the material? For for each of the books, we have, some of the books are full, and others have enough material, like loss of suicide initially, we struggled to find enough participants. So what happens is you've got people who, ha- they're, they're, you know, finding the courage to share their story, but they're worried that no one else is and what's going to happen. And so with loss of suicide, we ended up having enough participants. So all the books are moving forward except for loss of homicide. And it's been very interesting to me that in loss of homicide, People are, it, it turns out that that is the loss people are the most reluctant to talk about. And so I've got four participants in that book, and we need at least 10 for a full, rich depth to any book. And, and so what's going to happen with that? Because the four participants that are in there, they're, they're quite worried. You know, and I've reassured them that this book will go forward. This one may not be published in December, 
but we will keep adding people and recruiting people over time till we have enough to publish it because it's a book that needs to be published perhaps more than any other. And so let's, let's talk about the, the, the fact, the um, possible reasons for it. And maybe, maybe we can en- enlighten people and, and, and try to, you know, reassure them. Um, it, and it is, you know, it is a very difficult task. Uh, Delilah certainly knows that that's a, that's a source for me and that's therapeutic. I am a prolific writer on the topic or, or, or related matters. I think I have, Upwards of what three to going on three to four hundred blogs, Delilah. Is that is that somewhere in in the range since since we we have come together as a team? Um, it sounds about right. It sounds right. about and right. It certainly, now. yeah, certainly has been therapeutic for me. And to me, that is a voice for me to do it, and I love it. Um, and I am certainly working on a book, but I've had to put put that aside for other other commitments that I have these days. But it is, you know, it is a viable, um, a viable source for me. And th- these are some of the reasons that I've come up with, and maybe we can talk about these for the audience. And my goal is to to let people um, know that it's okay, and this is something that you should try and you should delve into. And um, number number one, just from my perspective, Linda, um, people are in, in something that you've alluded to here. People are in the acute phases of grief, perhaps, with with their homicide. And although you've had, um, I think, four participants, and I think you've said that those people are in the acute phases, they can't deal with with the topic in general. They can they can barely get through life. So how can they certainly sit down and pen their thoughts? So I'm giving them, like you, a pass on this in some ways, in that. They're in the acute phases, so how can we expect them to sit down? Unless they are in, uh, you know, they are people who would like to write anyway, and this is therapy for them. So that's number one in terms of what I think. Um, Just like my um, victim impact writing service, which if people don't know about it, they can go to DonnaGore.com or ImaginePublicity.com. I'm offering a service for them. If you're not wordsmith and uh, you you want to go, you you have a, a, a sentencing coming up for your trial or your parole hearing coming up, and you need your at wit's end in terms of how to put your thoughts to to paper. This is another vehicle where I can perhaps help you, and uh, so I think that's another reason you you can have all of your thoughts in your head, but you don't know how to put them to paper pen to paper. And so I think that might be another reason. Well, I, I just am not a writer, and I wanted to come out the, the, you know, there's no right or wrong, as Linda has said, but yet you want your, your feelings to be conveyed accurately. So that might be another reason. Another, another reason, which Linda and I spoke about a few days ago, is that in many times um, in a homicide, people, you know, with an ongoing court case, um, they don't have permission to talk about this or to write about this because of the phase that the, the case is in. Or perhaps there's there's a lawsuit going on, and attorneys are saying, well, I, we know you want to talk about this, but it could damage your, you know, the lawsuit. Okay, so that might be another reason. Another reason um, is that um, 
people people uh, who experience homicide, and very often they are from um, different cultures, uh, whether they be uh, minority culture, African American, Hispanic, uh, what or you know from uh, from other cultures as well. Um, it is dealt with as a private family matter, and um, I think that. That has been a barrier. I know that when I was very active in the support group aspect of Survivors of Homicide of Connecticut, and I think they still see that as a challenge, that these are people that don't necessarily, I'm not saying uh, not everyone to broad brush it, but they don't necessarily come to, to come together in a support group. It's not, it's not how they deal with it as a culture. So although you may be reaching out to bereavement groups internationally, they're reading it, but by, by culture they're saying, that's not how we deal with this. We don't talk about this. So, you know, that's another challenge. And um, another reason that I think Linda and I talked about the other day, homicide is messy, and it's not, it's not pure. It's not necessarily just a pure homicide. How does a homicide happen? Well, a homicide... That might happen in the course of a robbery, like in, in, in my dad's case. It might happen as a result of um, dr- uh, somebody being involved in drugs or prostitution or some other illegal activity, and perhaps families, and, and rightfully so. Families do not necessarily take kindly to having all their skeletons in their closet come out, even though it's going to help them get to resolution. So maybe people are embarrassed by that. And, you know, if they can't tell the whole story, then why tell the story at all? So I think by virtue of the fact that homicide is messy, and that's just a term I'm making up here, it's a a truism. Um, So therein lies the challenge. But I think if people listen to this and listen to this very worthy project that, that Linda is involved with, and the fact that your words not only are going to help um, you therapeutically um, with, with the help of others, um, that perhaps you can get beyond this challenge that you have, whether or not it's your grief or the circumstances of your homicide. So we are challenging all of you, just as we're challenging all people out there this month uh, when it happens to be a Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We're challenging you to to get beyond, uh, you know, get over yourself, so to speak, and to get beyond that challenge and to be able to share and to reach out to those and, and to try to participate in this. Um, so I'll, Thank you. I'll I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much, Donna. You know, one of the ways to handle the sensitive issue of burying, uh, you know, a family's, uh, you know, dirty laundry, so to speak, uh, is a pen name. And quite a few of the participants are using pen names because they can be completely transparent and completely truthful without fear of hurting someone in their family, someone they love or or friends or or whoever. And so a pen name, and that also applies to those who are in the middle of court cases. And we've got one who is in the middle of the court cases. She's using a pen name and because she wants to share her story. 
and she she you know feels the the value of this project the the, the profoundness the sacredness of it and using a pen name is one way to address both of those and people are relieved when they realize that they can use a pen name and i as the publisher the, I'm the only, you know, the, we're the only people who are aware of the true identity. And so even in the secret Facebook group, uh, there's ways for others not to uh, know the true identity. That's so their identity, yeah. Yeah, and it's very important that they, there's no point to doing this project if they can't be truthful because the whole purpose is to help others feel not so alone. So if you skip around and sugarcoat and not address some of the hardest elements of loss by homicide, then you're not touching those. You're not reaching those in need who share your journey. And that's right. that's the main purpose for this project is to reach others because by doing so it leaves a legacy from your own sorrow sharing the story of your loved one that will permanently be in print in the Library of Congress. You know, this is a permanent this is a legacy that you're leaving behind about your loved one. And you know, by sharing that you're reaching others in need, and many of them have no support of their own or very little support, and these books become their sole source of support. And that's incredible when you think about it. That's powerful when you think about it. And so by being able to be completely transparent and truthful, it's also a little bit liberating. And when you pen to paper with the truthfulness of your own loss, it can be, you know, you're processing one more step of your own loss. And when you process, a little bit of healing takes place. And so yeah, it's yeah. really amazing on both ends. Well, is this also a, can this be some somewhat of a source of income for the participants? They can. If they want to uh, be a co-author, uh, to contribute, most of the participants are contributors and it's free to contribute. We want to share your story because that's my mission. My personal mission is to reach out and comfort others because that's what heals my own heart. And so most of the participants are contributors who just want to share their story and, and some of them want to share their story. Some of them want to share their story and make a difference. And I don't judge either way. It's it's um, it's open to everyone. But there are a, a handful, about a dozen of the participants of the 90-some who are co-authors. And what happens there is you pay $450 to be a co-author. And the reason why is because it costs roughly somewhere between 5000 7500 to produce any one book. And so when you uh, pay to be a co-author, a number of things happen. Your name goes on the cover and also inside, and you also earn royalties. And so by you know participating as a co-author, you pay in to help toward publishing costs, but you're also given a percentage of royalties from here on out. And... Mm-hmm. 
and people can do one or the other. It's up to them. It's uh, again, um, one voice is not valued over another. It just depends on. Uh, some people, you know, they want to become an, a published author, and this is a springboard for them. And from there, they go on to write their own books, and that's fantastic. That's just that's amazing to me. Uh, but right. for and those how that, is this marketed, um, Linda? Afterwards, are you are you um, using particular sources after after all of these uh, uh, anthologies are completed? Um, you know, is there is there a special marketing plan that goes with this project? Oh, of course, there is with any you know, well, there should be with any book that is published, and uh, you know, it's it's all the traditional. It'll be available in all the traditional platforms, of course, uh, that you you would, and uh, you know, Barnes and Nobles, uh, uh, of course, Amazon, all the big ones as well as, you know, the e-readers and such. And we'll be instructing the co-authors who want to do their own book signing. We help them, give them support on how to do a book sign because book signings are really, really fun. And, you know, how to, and we set them up. We'll be, of course, doing national press releases and I'll be doing different promotional, uh, you know, things with regards to this, and and those are already set up, and and uh, you know, so all of the traditional promoting and uh, you know that that kind of stuff will go along with this project. It doesn't just sit there on its own. There's no point to doing it if we're not going to tell anyone about it. <laughs> and but but the but the yeah. beautiful thing about an anthology style is that when you have ninety some, I think we're up to ninety six participants around the world. They also want to help promote it. And they're going to be sharing it. And so you take the power behind a publisher with promoting the standard routes and all of these different voices that share their story in there, they also want to help to promote it. And yeah, so, so it's, it's a really the domino cool thing. effect. Yeah. It, it just sounds very – now, Delilah, knowing that you work with some, some pretty uh, – famous authors in in the publishing world too what what would be your comments with regard to this project in general i'm just you know wondering if you can you know add your add your thoughts here at this juncture oh well i think linda explained a very very excellent plan and the fact that there are so many authors involved in it should should definitely help the sale of the books and help the books, uh, the book signings and getting them into bookstores. I think um, you know the more people you have involved, the the faster it can grow um, on its own. Right, mm-hmm. and you know when when you do the the you know the traditional uh, the large uh, that everyone knows. Uh, again, I'm just going to reference Barnes and Nobles and Amazon because those are the two that people most uh, you know. Oh yeah, I, I've heard of them, of course. But the smaller mom and pop bookstores in your own community, they have limited shelf space, so they're very selective about what they put on their shelves. And so we help those within their own community who want to see it carried on their sh- with their mom and pop uh, bookstores uh, and booksellers. We help them how to approach the owner of that and share the project with them and convince them maybe not to carry all the titles, but perhaps, you know, if if this participant, uh, you know, participated in, you know, loss by homicide uh, or loss by suicide or what have you, 
if they can explain who they are and why this is important to carry on the shelf. So we help we help them. We you know we don't just take their stories and cut them loose. Uh, you know I, I love collaborating with people and it's helping people. And so mm-hmm. it's it's really a a team effort here. And and I love you know when you give them the tools. And by telling them, okay, here's how you approach the mom and pop places, and here's how you know, here's what you do. When you give them the tools, magic happens. Right. And so it's very, very cool. And so, and so, I just wanted to point that out because people will go into their own bookstore that's been owned by a family for three generations, and you know, but it's a very small hole in the wall and doesn't have a lot of shelf space. And they're going to carry all the number one bestsellers because that's what sells, and this and that. And so it's, it's, I, you know, I want people to understand that I, here's how to address that. And mm-hmm. you know, here's 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 how we spread the word, that kind of thing. So it's it's really cool. Yeah. Can you and can local you tell libraries us? are a Go wonderful ahead. source as well. Oh, yeah. Getting into the libraries because they're, you know, they're always having um, local authors, especially. And when you have as many people as you do involved in this project, I mean, local is is all over the place. So that's another source that, um, you know, getting them into the library or having um, a meeting or a support group meeting or even a book signing at your local libraries would be Is that a really hard process to get them into your local library because of whatever, you know, constraints they're under or is it fairly, fairly seamless to do that? I'm just wondering. It's not that difficult of a process. It's just a matter of no. reaching out to people. That's and right. um, the worst they That's can right. do is say no, and they don't do that very That's often, right. believe me. Really? They don't, and, and you know, the Library of Congress catalog number is very important. And each of these books, uh, we've applied for the Library of Congress control number. And and Delilah, I'm sure you're familiar with that process. Um, yeah. But that's a very important part of getting it into the libraries. Now, that doesn't mean that the Library of Congress is actually going to have the title on their shelf. They have their own process of, you know, juried process, and uh, there's no rhyme or reason, uh, you know, to to what books they have there. But we've applied for that LCCN for mm-hmm. each of the titles because that's an important part of this. Sure. And, and and so, um, you know, again, though, with a uh, you can have a book signing at libraries. You can have a book signing at the grocery store. You can have a book <laughs> signing anywhere. And we give them the tools to create banners and tabletop promotional material, and uh, you know, so that they don't have to recreate the will. And if you so make you it easy, if you give what's in it for them too, yeah. Can you give us a well, list of the the different? Anthologies, like you had said, Lost, Lost uh, by Suicide, Lost by Homicide. What are the other, what are the other offerings, just so that our listeners know the the diversity of loss? Loss of an infant. Uh huh. Lost by suicide. Loss of a pregnancy. Loss of a partner. Loss of a sibling. Loss of a spouse. Loss of a parent, loss of a child, grieving for the living, 
and I'll explain that in a minute. Okay. Loss of loss of health and how to help the newly bereaved. And grieving for the living is a very interesting dynamic. You know, we grieve many, many things. We grieve the loss of a 30-year marriage. We grieve the loss of a career. We grieve the loss of if we've lost our home. And Grieving for the Living is a really interesting book about uh, grieving for something or someone who's still alive or still a, a you know part of your your life. For instance, one of the participants and actually a couple of participants in that book are writing about grieving for a mother who's still alive, but who really dropped the ball in the mother department. And grieving for the living for me because I'll, that's one of the books that I am personally contributing my own story. I, it is uh, less than three years after losing our daughter, my dear sweet hubby, my, I just adore him, 46 years old, uh, incredible, incredible, well-respected, admired man in his field, well-known, suffered a devastating stroke in the matter of minutes. He was robbed of his speech, his reading, his writing, his math, and he was paralyzed on his entire right side. Mm-hmm. We were and, just sharing about that yesterday with my background in speech-language pathology, yeah. And so what happens is our life once again changed dramatically on a dime. And my husband will never be able to work again. He ha- he's he's doing he's doing well. And when I say well, uh he's doing well in my mind. Will he have a full recovery? No. He is his speech will always be compromised. However, and his reading and his writing and his math, however, his memory is completely intact. His sense of humor is completely intact. When his arms are around me, all is right with my world. And he, 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 you know, he he had to relearn how to uh, walk. He, you know, was in a wheelchair and then graduated to a walker and, uh, you know, with significant foot drop and then to a cane. And, you know, and, and now when he fatigues, I can tell when he's fatigued because he drools, and, you know, a, a grieving took place in my heart that was very different from the grief I experienced and continue to experience with the loss of our daughter. I, I grieve for the moments of what life was like before his stroke. But the heart has the ability to hold joy at the same time as profound sorrow. And who knew? I, I didn't know this. But when his arms are around me and he's holding me, I feel so much joy that I still have them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's so touching. It, that's wonderful. The fact it, that you have a book devoted to that, where there there is grieving for the living, and people are thinking, oh, very well, much. well, what's well, what's that about? So you must have. So you had many contributors in in a different in a different way for that particular book. Oh yes, and you know, as I said, there's a couple of participants that are writing about grieving for mothers that are still alive, but were terrible mothers, 
and and I, I I shouldn't say it such a way, but that's those the but those words, you know, there was abuse, mm-hmm. addiction, alcoholism, that kind of thing. And so their childhood was anything but what you see on TV in terms of uh, Beaver Cleaver. And, and and then we also have a couple participants in there both who are writing about ending long term marriages, thirty plus years, when they discovered that their husbands were addicted to online porn and having online affairs and their life as they knew it wasn't was shattered and so and their husbands are still their ex-husbands are still alive and so Mm -hmm. suddenly you become the person where at, at the holiday table no one's inviting you your family as you knew it is completely in disrepair. Yeah. yeah, and and so you know we've started this initiative uh, called Set an Extra Plate, and and that's a whole other um, <laughs> another topic, a, a whole other project um, that's beautiful. But you know, so someone who who you know discovered that I mean this is someone they've been married to for thirty plus years, have their you know children and grandchildren careers, and discover. One day, that life as they knew it is not what they knew it. And there is a grief that sets in of uh, suddenly finding yourself alone and you're no longer married and your children. It's just this this whole interesting, very powerful book in its own right. And and so that's what grieving for the living, grieving, you know, Mm -hmm. loss of health. When people are dealing with, uh, let's say someone has multiple sclerosis or chronic fatigue syndrome or, uh, you know, chronic you know, pain, fibromyalgia or diabetes, and it's impacted their life, they grieve sure. that they cannot do some of the things that other people do. And, and that grief colors your world in a way that others might not understand. So by sharing your story, it helps others better understand. And Absolutely. so that's why loss of health. And, you know, there's number, many people said, well, how come you didn't do loss of a pet? Well, I can only handle so many titles at once. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we do have a fresh series beginning in January that is a whole different a whole different uh, ball game, and uh, yeah, and uh, and so you know this uh, there's no limit to the number of titles that you can have uh, that give people a voice in sharing their own losses, and and that's what this project is about. But it's been very interesting to me that the loss by homicide is the one where we're challenged in finding people mm-hmm. willing to share their story. Right. Well, that's why we're trying to do, trying to get the word out here, and uh, hopefully, uh, is is that is that deadline uh, that deadline is approaching? Correct. Not for the loss by homicide. With only four people, there's oh, okay. not enough content, not enough material okay. to produce a rich depth book sharing different perspectives. You want you want different perspectives in there because right. every story is unique. And and so if we if we published it with only four, it would would not do a full service to the readers. And so that one, if we don't it's have ongoing. more people join, if we don't have more people join up in the next few weeks, we'll mm-hmm. just keep that title open, okay. and publish when we do have that minimum of ten. 
Right. Well, I'm and, hoping you do. <laughs> I, me too. But but and and you know we will publish it. It will go forth at some point. But I would love for it to collect some more voices, some more stories, so it can go alongside the others in December, uh, because I feel responsible for the four participants that are in there. I am the keeper of their their stories, their treasured memories, and I don't want to just sit there and hold them. I want to be actively letting others who are willing to share their story say, you know what, I want to tell about my child who was murdered or my my parent or my sibling who was murdered. Or, you know, I want to talk about it. And and so, you know, thank you for, for... sharing this project this is an incredible project it's important it's important and are the to talk four, about our losses yes are the four people that you have now those are am i right linda in saying that those the people who have written so far contributed those are people that are relatively in the acute stages so you would like to have other participants that maybe are a little farther down the road like i'm very far down the road and i'm contemplating this I, um, but is is that right? You'd like to have some other people that are maybe you know a couple years out or a few years farther down the road to lend another a different perspective. Is that true? We it's open to everybody, and uh-huh. it's right now it's it's fifty fifty. We've got two that are twenty that are from the early nineteen nineties, and then we have two that are from the past five years. And so every voice, every story is valued. And it's very important to share a a variety of perspectives because your story changes over time. And so those that are from the early 1990s, they're going to have different reflections and thoughts about some of the questions than those that are relatively fresh within the past five years. And, And so it's important, again, to have a broad depth broad dimension because one story isn't going to resonate with every reader with everyone and right? so and so when you have a variety of stories uh, it broadens the scope of readers that it's going to resonate with and you also learn when you read someone who lost a brother four years ago to homicide versus so-and-so who lost a mother to, to homicide, you know, in the early 1990s, it, you're going to have different reflections. And it's very important to get that because the one from the early 19, the two from the early 1990s are going to give you hope that it's survivable because the ones that are still relatively fresh, they're still not sure it's survivable. It's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It's crushing. They're, they're still trying to take it one breath at a time. Mm-hmm. And so by offering, you know, I, 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 it, 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 to, it's not up to me to say, oh, your story's too old. No. Or your story's <laughs> too new. It's not right. up to me to set that. That's well, what I makes have to tell different. you that we, we have people in the missing persons organization that we deal with, the Q Center for the Missing from Wilmington, North Carolina. There have been those those people who who have had someone go missing who ultimately was was uh, killed in a homicide as an example um many many years missing and then they suddenly find the person i mean ultimately who uh has been killed but then but so therein lies the hope 
that that person will be found. And can you imagine those people who have experienced homicide when they've been missing that many years? So I challenge all of those people who may be listening from the Q Center or other people who have ultimately experienced homicide in their lives, that that's another perspective that needs to be to be told as well. And we have about maybe eight or so minutes, seven minutes. Linda, you also told me that some of the participants are, are some are published authors as well. Is that right? That is correct. Can you talk a little bit about those people versus people who maybe are not, are just sort of novices and uh, a victim? I mean, they lend a different perspective as well. Uh, not so much a different perspective. It's more that it's interesting that um, they, being a published author in their own right, and then they join this project mm-hmm. because it's it's coming at it from a different angle rather than, you know, when you publish your own book about your own story, it's one-dimensional. Now, I don't I don't say that lightly. It's very valuable. Every story is valuable. But when you take a collection of them, and you ask questions, they have to reframe how that, how they're, you know, what they're, it's like, oh gosh, you know, I didn't think about that. And and so it's a, a different value about their story. And I am just delighted, uh, you know, to have them on board because they also come with a sense of professionalism about why this project is so important. And so I feel like I'm alongside peers with them. Mm-hmm. And then with the others who are novices, I feel very tender about, and I feel like I'm holding them in my arms, which makes me feel, um, you know, being a mother is the best role I will ever play in my life. And I'm very maternal. And so with the novices and those who have no desire to go on and, you know, write more, quite a few of them do, and they're using this as a springboard to get their feet wet. And I love that. I love that. Uh, But for those that don't have any desire, they just want to share their story because it's burning Mm -hmm. in their heart and they want to, to, you know, get it out there for whatever reason they choose. And again, it's not up to me to judge. Uh, You know, I feel very tender. I'm, I'm, you know, holding those very close to my heart. You can tell you're a mother. It just shines through very much. Can you you give us uh, contact information with regard to other other, people homicide survivors that may be interested right now and in the future and you know i i i may be i may be joining you um but for those other people that this is a brand new a brand new venture that they're hearing about right now or on our our archives how can they get in touch with you thank you griefdiaries.com grief diaries uh it's it, just like it it um, sounds g-r-i-e-f D-I-A-R-I-E-S dot com. And it's right on there. They can click on it. They can go mm-hmm. to, when they click on that, it'll take them to the page that has all the different titles. They can participate in more than one title. Quite a few people have different losses. And mm-hmm. we have two participants who are in seven titles. And really? Wow. Yes. And, so, and quite a few of them are in at least two. And uh, 
goodness, I'm sorry there. Uh, and, and so they can click on that and read through it. It's you know there's question and answers. They're welcome to email me to ask any other questions. I'm mm-hmm. I'm quite happy to answer any questions. And you know people will say, I know you're so busy. I'm sorry to bother you. This is what I do. You're not bothering me at all. This is what I'm here for. So to mm-hmm. email me. My email is Linda with a Y at lindafell.com. L Y N D A at L Y N D A F as in Fred E L L dot com. And you can also contact me on the griefdiaries.com website. Send an email that way and uh, we will get it. And so and, everyone is welcome. And you're on Blog Talk. Your, your radio show is on hiatus right now, but you, you do have a radio show with, with archives. Is that correct? Grief Diaries Radio, and it's all on iTunes, and so uh, people can listen to all the, uh, the past episodes. You know, we've had uh, all kinds of people on there, Grammy Award-winning uh, singer-songwriters, uh, you know, uh, published off, uh, Tanya Brown, who lost her sister, Nicole Brown Simpson, O.J. Simpson's mm-hmm. former wife. Uh, you know, she's a dear friend of mine. And uh, she's, you know, on there. Uh, and so uh, click on the link on griefdiaries.com. It'll take you to iTunes with all the different uh, past broadcasts. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, I love broadcasting on the radio. It's a great, great platform. Uh, but, is. you know, there's other platforms as well. And uh, sharing stories is, is another way to reach people that you can't do with the radio. So. Yeah, and Delilah, would you also be able to put this up on Imagine Publicity um, so that people know about it as well? Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I I think this is thank you, Delilah. This this could be a good good partnership. (laughs) Uh, And and we will we will be in touch as well, uh, Linda, um, off air, but. Uh, so I just want to say, if, if there is a final parting message that that you would like to get out to people that perhaps you haven't articulated thus far, something different, or something that might resonate with our listeners, um, you know, in the future, what, what would you like to say? You know, I just want people to understand that they're not alone, and when we share our stories not only does it help others better understand our journeys, but it helps the rest of us feel not quite so alone. And that's really incredible. It's simple, but incredible. And so when you share your story, it's powerful and it's raw, but it also becomes a legacy. And, and you know, it's a, a, a legacy of comfort, company, and hope. And I often say that, Another story told is another heart touched. Uh, that's that that is uh, indeed profound, and I think that's a very good um, a very good note for us to to end on because this hour is is fast uh, approaching in terms of the uh, closure. So we want to encourage everyone that's listening now and in the future to please do go to uh, griefdiaries.com to continue to listen to Shattered Life Radio, um, both now and in the future, and at imaginepublicity.com as well. And so we will um, 
end this show for for this edition. And uh, be sure to listen to to this podcast and pass it along. So, everyone, we want to say um, have a good and safe long weekend. And thank you so much, Linda, for being our guest. And thank you, Delilah. We'll talk to you both later. All right. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Mm -hmm.